out of the shotgun again. This crowd roaring. Takes the snap. Sets up. Sets up. Throws one over the net. Intercepted. Marlon Jackson. Marlon's got it. We're going to the Super Bowl. Listening to the Hoosier State Sports Show with Adam and Joey. Blood is running down my face, tears are forming in my eyes. Father always told me pain is temporary, keep in stride. Lift your head up, don't you cry. Fighters always will survive. That hurt you feel inside can only mean that you're alive. Keep your head down and digging. God will provide you vision and lead you where you need to be. A future, shut up and listen. Hello, everybody, and welcome back once again, and happy Independence Day. Welcome to the Hoosier State Sports Show. My name is Joey. As always, I'm joined by Adam. How are you today, Adam? Doing pretty good. Getting ready to celebrate tonight. So we were going to bring everyone a nice condensed episode of the show today. So, Adam, you want to give us a brief explanation of what we're going to talk about on this condensed episode of the show? Yeah, so we'll basically talk about the Indiana Fever and how they did this past week, talk about the Indiana Pacers moves that they've made in free agency and through trades, and then we'll wrap up with our Colts discussions where we'll discuss Isaiah Rogers and then our next position, which will focus this week on the wide receivers room. So with that, I'll just go ahead and jump right in for today. So real short on the Fever, but... The first game they played last week, they lost to the league-worst Phoenix Mercury terribly by a score of 85-63. to Kelsey Mitchell led the way with 15 points, and that was unfortunately on 5 of 15 shooting. So that tells you how the rest of the team did. But then Nalisha Smith had an average performance with 10 points and 9 rebounds. And then as a team overall, they shot 33.3%. So... Real quickly, Joey, do you think this performance concerns you given that it's the worst team in the league? Or do you think that the fact that the Mercury hired a new coach might have helped ignite them to do a little bit better? I'm sure there's a chance that that had played a part in it. But altogether, I'm really not all that concerned. We talk every week about the trend. Yes, I realize that they lost pretty handsomely to the Phoenix Mercury. But I think as a whole, you've still seen this trend with the Fever where on an average, the team is getting better. Now, this was a minor setback. I'm not going to lie to you on that. And I don't I don't know if you know off the top of your head how Aaliyah Boston did, but minor setback, but I think like altogether the Fever are still in an okay position. Yeah, Boston, I believe, only scored like six points in this game, and it's actually going to be interesting with the other game that I talk about real quick, too. So, The only other game, and, you know, this was actually a pretty short week for them. They only had two games. But the Fever lost on Sunday by a score of 89-87, to and that was against the Chicago Sky. Nalisha Smith did, again, pretty good in that game. She had 27 points with eight rebounds. Kelsey Mitchell, who was elected as an all-star reserve right before this game, had 26 points and eight assists. So, Those two pretty much led the way, contributing 53 of their 87 points. Now, with that all being said, you talked about Boston. The second game, she had four points and seven rebounds. Now, that was a home game, and so the team now has a record of 1-5 and this season at home to go with their 5-11 and record overall. So, Joey, do you think that the one home win 
in six games to this point in the season, is that concerning to you at all? I'd say maybe a little bit more so than your first question. I don't know what kind of things play into that. I don't know if the fan support just isn't there yet, which we've talked in the past. I think if they continue to improve, they have the young pieces together to grow that fan base. But if there's not a whole lot of fan support at the home games, then in a way these home games really aren't home games, if that makes sense. So in that aspect, I guess I wouldn't be as concerned if that was the case. A neutral site game, you know, I guess the way that I look at it is Aaliyah Boston has had had two consecutive games where she's not had a double-double. She's averaging under 10. You know, she was elected as an all-star starter, and suddenly she's not playing like that. While I understand the rookie, you know, issues that come up and, you know, you're, you're dealing with being in the midst of the season right smack dab in the middle. But, I mean, I would be a little bit concerned given how they're they're not beating teams that are bad right now. Both of these teams are considered on the lower end of the WNBA. So I would say I'm more concerned about Boston than maybe the team for the reasons that you've said about growth. I don't know. I guess like me personally, I have the expectation that Boston has to come and play. You know, she's kind of considered, you know, the leader of this franchise, unfortunately, as a rookie. And you know how I feel about, you know, with the Pacers, with Halliburton being in that deal. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, someone's got to step up and win those games. And yes, I understand this is still a rebuilding year. Uh, Lynn Dunn, the GM, has quoted that they're on year two of three for rebuild, which, again, that tells you that they're probably planning to not be good in next seasons where they'll really put it together. But do I think the coaches at risk of being fired? No. And do I think the team is ultimately going for a postseason berth? No, but, you know, I would say that you you have to start figuring out who you want to be on this team and who you don't. And speaking of that, I've also got my questions about why Grace Berger continues to not play despite the team struggling. Yes, Kelsey Mitchell is doing fine in that point guard role, but I think you have to at some point start looking as well for letting your younger players like Lexi Hole play a little bit more. You got to get Grace Berger in there a little bit more. The players that maybe aren't getting to contribute. And at this point, what do they have to lose? They're five and 11. So you do the math on that. That's like 37% of their games that they're winning. So, well, and I, I think you made a really good point there. We keep talking about, it's really not about the final results this season, but it's about the trend in which they're heading. And, the final results aren't going to be there. We knew that before the season even started. But the fact that you have some of these younger players, like you just mentioned, the Grace Burgers, who aren't really getting any playing time, it makes you wonder what their plan is for the future. Because at this point, and even before this season, we knew that this is what the Fever were going to be playing for was the future. So to your point, I agree. I think they need to find a way to get Grace Burgers some more playing time. Yeah, and again, you know, they had three first-round picks this year. Only one of them is consistently playing. And then one of them they've already cut in Taylor Mike Sell. So, again, for me, there are definite concerns there. But let's get to some hopeful news now, depending on who you're talking to in the Pacers communities. But, again, with that, free agency did officially start. Player contracts have started to be signed, but they won't take full effect until 
Thursday because I don't know why the NBA does it this way, but it's like they give them a week to make the contracts official and for everything to go through. So I'll start very briefly with who we've signed that's not a free agent. And it's worth noting that the draft picks of Jarris Walker and Ben Shepard have been signed to their contract. So we mentioned going in to this particular week, they had one slot available. And we knew that because it was a given that Walker and Shepard were going to be signed. Those are first round picks. They get guaranteed contracts. So this week started off pretty nicely and, and showing that the Pacers do want to compete. They actually opened up a draft slot or a, sorry, a roster spot by trading Chris, Chris Duarte to the Sacramento Kings for draft compensation. Now I've seen rumored press that this is actually a late first round pick. And I've seen that it's a second round pick, but the year of the pick is not known. We don't know if, you know, there's multiple second round, or I've heard multiple second round picks as well on this. So what that allowed to have happen is it opened up the spot that was ultimately given for Obi Tobin. So let's kind of look at that trade really quickly. So the Knicks dealt Obi Tobin from, or in the last year of his contract for two second round picks. Again, like the picks that were given to the Kings or given from the Kings, we don't know what second round picks from the Pacers are going to the Knicks. Now, I've read a lot in both the Pacers communities on Facebook, on Twitter, TikTok, and then the the Knicks sites. And the Knicks fans are not happy about this trade. In fact, a lot of them are calling for Tom Thibodeau to have his job taken from him because they're that upset. And, you know, he was the eighth pick in the same draft that Tyrese Halliburton was picked. So 2019, I believe. So two second-round picks dealt for him. Now, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tirade about this signing, and then I want to get your thoughts, and then we'll move to the rest of free agency really quick. But last year, people were like, well, why, why Obi Tobin, you know? And you remember on the podcast previously that I wanted the Pacers to make this trade. And I've got the stat lines that are going to back up why. So the team had plenty of picks to trade. That's the first thing. Second round picks are not guaranteed contracts. So when you're trading them, you want some sort of assurances. I think Topin is going to try to re-sign with the Pacers. I'll get to that in a second. So last year, his stat line reads like this. 7.4 points, 2.8 rebounds. And again, he had like one assist. You know, those are not great numbers for a small forward. And notice that that's the position that I chose to say. But this trade comes down to two things. And the second one is going to be where I really think people get behind it. So the first thing is behind the scenes, it seems like Tyrese Halliburton was orchestrating this trade. We talked about how the Pacers were going to give him some leeway with opinions. Um, There's been a lot of back and forth Twitter stuff between Topin and Halliburton throughout the off season, throughout the draft season. And basically there was someone in the Pacers community that had a conversation with Halliburton and he was like, he had big news, but he couldn't specify. And I guess the comments were, we're going to run it back. And, So people are like, okay, who's going to run it back? 
and it was released not too long after that Topin had been traded. So it was clear from the get-go that Halliburton wanted this move. And I think the Pacers wanted to kind of appease him in some way to get him to stay with the franchise. More on that in a minute as well. But one thing that needs to be understood, he started five games last season because basically he was the understudy for Julius Randle. In those games, Joey, you ready to hear this stat line? Yeah, I'm I'm already looking at it, and it gets me excited, so I'm going to let you take it away. So Opie Topin's stat line when Julius Randle was out last year goes as this. He averaged, and this is averaged in the games he started last year. We haven't talked about his career averages when he starts. He averaged 21.8 games, or 21.8 points, 3.4 assists, and 3.2 rebounds in in those five games. Okay, so again, you're talking a starting small forward at that point. Those are starting statistics. I don't care who you ask. And again, you know, those are very close stats also to what Kyle Kuzma had, who just got a ridiculous four-year, $102 million deal from the Washington Wizards. And we're talking about a guy on a rookie scale that has that capability. Now, Topin's career average is starting. So he has 15 starts. Those go as follows. 20.8 points, 5.7 rebounds, and 3.1 assists on 57% shooting and 44% from beyond the arc. This was the missing piece at small forward we have not had. So Halliburton also mentioned what they're going to do together. He's mentioned it on tweets since we got Topin, and it's like that whole concept of we're going to run it back. He's talking about passing the ball to Topin. So clearly Halliburton's going to find a way to get him involved. So again, this was intended to be a small forward signing. So Joey, I want to get your thoughts on this signing now that we've kind of talked about Topin as well. Well, it's kind of interesting. You mentioned that there was a lot of Pacers fans leading up to the deal that thought, what's the big deal with Obi Topin? You know, and on the surface, that's where I was at. You look at it, you said 7.4 points per game last year. I'm thinking, okay, why is everyone so up in arms about this? And then the deal gets done, and I saw the same thing you did. I saw all the Knicks fans up in an uproar. I'm like, what in the heck, man? And until right now when you're telling me these stats from when he started games last year, I didn't understand it. I understand it now. And as you mentioned, having that history with Halliburton and it sounds like they have a pretty strong relationship as it is. This is a very key piece to what they're trying to build down in Indianapolis. But with that, Adam, I do kind of have a follow-up question for you. In my opinion, this really leaves Buddy Heald as the odd man out, which we already knew going into this off season. Mm -hmm. But do you think this makes it even more likely that Buddy Heald gets dealt in the near future? Well, here's the deal. Uh, You'll find this interesting. The NBA is looking at the the new CBA, the collective bargaining agreement, and there's talks about how they're going to let teams start rostering 15 players instead of 13. So, yes, while that doesn't directly affect the question that you're asking about Buddy Heald, what it says to me is that the team is going to start trying to prepare for that point next year. And – This signing has nothing to do with small forward. It has to do with the shooting guard, like you just said. So do I see Heald getting dealt? Um, I'm going to say yes. 
it's going to be a matter of when and what my comment on this is going to be is that, you know, there is a lot of press on James Harden getting dealt potentially, Damian Lillard getting dealt potentially, Tyler Hero from Miami. And there's a lot of conversations with that that come with needing a third wheel. Uh, you'll find this interesting too. The NBA has also said that starting next year, trades for players are going to have to start being matched in terms of salary or very close in terms of matching. So like the days of the massive trade extensions where the Pacers could trade a buddy healed for a second round pick, those are getting ready to go away. So in short, what I think will happen with this is it's going to be right at the all-star break. I don't see him going anywhere in the short term as much as I would like for him to, but I, I think he is not going to have as active of a role. I was looking at Heal's stats when I was coming up with this, and he averages nearly for his career 17 points a game. You know, he has a star. He is a starter. I, I don't care what anybody says about it. You know, but let's look at the roster real quick. Tyrese Halliburton, that's your point guard. No questions, ifs, ands, or buts about it. I'm not keeping Benedict Mathurin on the bench for another year as the sixth man. We'll talk about why he's not the sixth man any longer in just a minute. So I think he's your shooting guard. I think you have Topin and Shepard that are going to fight out for that small forward spot. And yes, I, I believe that much in Shepard. Think about what Topin and him have in common. Three-point shooting. That's something that's been missing from the team. No disrespect to Buddy Heald, who, again, we acknowledged last week, led the league, and that was over Steph Curry last year. But you need more of it across the team. So you have that position set. Then at your power forward, you have Jarris Walker there. You have potentially Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, Oscar Teshebe, and I'm I'm missing someone. I'll, I'll put Daniel Thesis in there, or Theus in there for the moment. And then at center, you've really basically got Turner and then some combination of those guards at power forward. I just said. You well, don't. One, I don't. And then guy, I forgot Topin. Well, and one guy that we're leaving out of the shooting guard discussion, as far as Buddy Hield goes, is Bruce Brown, the guy that the Pacers just signed out of Denver. It's and I was bringing in some championship experience that I'm sure would give would give healed some you know some troubles maintaining that starting position, which is another reason why I presented that question. Well, and the fact that you mentioned him means that I'll kind of move on. But um, I also forgot T.J. McConnell at point guard. So all of this to say, too, um, and I, I don't want to backtrack to guarantee that healed gets dealt, but if healed doesn't get dealt someone's getting traded and you know i there is a pacers poll in their community group on who they think is going to leave it was pretty much unanimous that they thought that it was going to be healed but the other names to look out for are daniel theus and tj mcconnell uh, a lot of pacers fans actually do want to give isaiah wong a chance remember we've also got him on a two-way we've got kendall brown on a two-way we have the Mojave King, who will probably never play for the team, but he's on a two-way contract. Again, there are pieces there that this team has. And 
again, I know I am forgetting somebody right now, and it's bothering me to no end. But again, I don't think the Pacers also, uh, let me throw this in there. I don't think they're given multiple seconds unless there's some sort of investment from Topin that they want more than just this year. And that's something to think about as well. Now, with that being said, and I hadn't got to him yet, because I think the player I'm forgetting is Bruce Brown. So there were a lot of reports that the Pacers were trying to go after Harrison Barnes. He resigned with the Kings. There was a ton of press that people were like, oh, Max Strauss or Struss is a guaranteed player from Miami that's going to come here. He got dealt to Cleveland. Tobias Harris was looked at as a target. He was looked at during the draft as well, but supposedly Philadelphia wanted like a first, a future first that was hypothetical, that could be protected. And then they wanted like Isaiah Jackson and then another player on top of that. And I'm sorry, with him making nearly 35 million, no, that's just not, that's not going to happen. And thus why he hasn't been, been dealt yet. But in all of that, underneath kind of Bruce Brown was also like Struss reported to go to the team. And it's interesting. He had a deal with the Lakers in place. Bruce Brown did before the Pacers came in last minute and signed him for more money. So he was going to the Lakers too. But again, some people are going to look at this as an overpay, but let's, let's kind of dive into it. So Bruce Brown signed with the Pacers. He's a 26-year-old who is a key piece of Denver's run, as we mentioned, the NBA championship. He's also had a pretty solid career with the Brooklyn Nets as well. So last year off the bench, he averaged 12 points, four rebounds, nearly two assists, and a steal. Now, again, people are going to wonder about this. Let's dive a little deeper. So he is a reliable shooter. He shoots 51% from the field. Again, coming off the bench, you're usually on the bench because you struggle with that aspect. But he's come in and done pretty well. He is also a multiple and versatile defender who plays multiple positions. You know, so him and Jairus Walker alike on our team, they play point guard. There is talks that Walker and him both play shooting guard, small forward, and then potentially in a very, very small lineup, you might put Bruce Brown in there, but probably not. It'll be those first three positions. Now, for me personally, this is a great contract, and I'll get into it in a second. The contract is for two years and $45 million. Now, the second year is a team option. So, Joey, here's why I think it's a great contract, and I want to get your thoughts. So, remember how I said a second ago that pretty much NBA contracts are going to start having to be basically matched in trades, right? Yeah. Why would a small market team like the Pacers make this deal? The answer is it basically allows them to have a trade exception. I want you to think about that. Yes, no disrespect to Bruce Brown's talent. Yes, in the NBA playoffs, he was probably the best player on Denver's team outside of Jokic. But this is about what he can bring the Pacers in a trade next year. So what it sounds like to me is this is the pathway to a bigger deal, having his deal. We're going to lose Buddy Heald at the end of the year. So I think the Pacers are going to try to trade him, but with the team option, Pacers probably put him in there and use him as a trade chip next year. 
So I want to get your thoughts on that as well. Maybe my thoughts on the deal and then your thoughts on, or get, give me your thoughts on the deal. Let's just go with that. Well, first, in a response to what you said, may, maybe that is the case, but even then we're talking about next year. So I kind of want to look at what I think Bruce Brown offers the Pacers this year. And you, two things that you said, he's 26 years old, and as young as the Pacers team is, this makes him one of the veterans of the team, which you had mentioned is an area where the Pacers did need to improve. Yep. And maybe he can take some of that weight off of Halliburton's shoulders as far as leadership and stuff like that goes. And then the other aspect of that, too, he's coming off of an NBA championship. This is a guy who's been there. This is a guy who can mentor these young guys on a playoff or a postseason run if they get to that point. So for those two reasons, I really like this pickup for the Pacers this year. And then, of course, once you get into next year, you have all those trade potentials that you spoke of a moment ago. Well, you want to hear something funny that I just thought about while we were sitting here. I, I told you, remember, the Pacers are trying to copy Denver's blueprint for winning the championship. I mentioned it last week and before that as well. And now what we've done is we've taken a player, maybe not their best player, but think about that blueprint with him on the team. Like I said, he's going to bring answers for a franchise that has never won the NBA championship. And, you know, I, I don't want to get my hopes up, but I really do think at this point they've done enough to make, make the playoffs. I'm not saying win anything, but make the playoffs. I've seen a lot of polls that have the Pacers as high as third in the Eastern Conference. And that actually, by the way, has them above Milwaukee and then – it has them above everyone but Miami, and I cannot think of the other team at the moment. Cleveland, I believe, is considered number one. And oh, Boston, sorry, Boston, Cleveland, and then the Pacers. So you have basically them ahead at Miami. That's probably due to Miami's going to have to trade half their roster to get Damian Lillard. That's above the Hawks, who have done a really good job at bringing in some pieces in free agency. It puts them against, you know, Detroit puts them against Toronto, you name it, you know, play or teams that have pretty solid players in place. But again, overall, what are your thoughts on free agency? Cause most likely for the Pacers, this is it. We're probably not going to hear a whole lot else. Yeah. Just short, sweet, and simple. I think that they did a good job of addressing needs. Maybe they could have made a little bit bigger of splashes, but I think that the things they did were, sufficient enough to ultimately put them in a position to be competitive this year. Are we talking championship level? I don't know, but I agree with you when you say, I think that they have a chance to make a run at the postseason this year. Well, and like I said, um, I remember the player, it's Andrew Nebhard, who's going to be looking at point guard and shooting guard minutes. But I think if the Pacers make any more moves, it's not going to be free agents. It's going to be trades. I think free agents are done at this point in time. But like I said, I see Heald being looked at for trades. Would not be surprised to see Miles Turner's name continue to come up. And his is because of his contract. Then you have, again, McConnell, Jalen Smith, and I forgot Aaron Naismith too. So again, you have him. You still have Noria on this team. You have Isaiah Jackson on this team. I don't think there's enough minutes for all of them. I think someone's going to be unhappy with their role. And personally, I think, you know, I started, I picked on Noria for so long last season 
but I see him as a big loser in all this. Aaron Naismith, I see as a big loser in all this. Jalen Smith, I see as a big loser in all this. I could, you know, Isaiah Jackson, I could give or take a little bit. But those are the three. And what's interesting is, again, just something to point out there. I mentioned that next season the Pacers are going to lose like seven of their players. You can throw Tyrese Halliburton off because of his five-year and $260 million extension. But you still have – there's going to be a lot of questions to what this team does. So I'm going to make a prediction now that if they make a trade, it's going to be trying to acquire assets on contracts for more than one year. And it might not be players as good as what we've got. But this roster as a whole, like I said, we're talking players that won't be able to get minutes. I think it's going to be every man's going to have to come in and work hard. And Rick Carlisle, I think he's going to trade who he feels is not up to the role. So Duarte is already gone. And again, Duarte is a good player. I think with the Demonis Sabanis relationship, he'll do much better in Sacramento. But I really do see some issues with some people getting playing time. Who that is, I don't know. But with all that being said, I think the Pacers did pretty well in free agency. And the last bit of, you know, emphasis I'm going to put on this because I mentioned it briefly, Tyrese Halliburton's contract is for $260 million upwards, but it's going to be closer to 207 that he gets guaranteed. So is this a good re-signing in your mind, Joey, or not? I think so. I don't remember how long ago it was, but I remember we talked if he was to make it all-pro team this year and that max contract was going to be even more next year. So I think it was the right move by the Pacers to get it done this year and then install some more confidence into Halliburton, if anything else. Yeah, absolutely. I I think this was a necessary contract re-signing again. They've made it clear that he is the cornerstone of the franchise. This is the franchise player. Now, what Pacers fans, I will say, and I'll end with this, with is going to be this. He's not going to be LeBron James. He's not going to average 30 points a game. That's not his role because he's a pass distributor. He is going to average something pretty much for his career of 20 and 10. And the reason I also like this re-signing, Halliburton will go back into free agency when he turns 29. He's 23 right now. So you look at his contract this year and then the next five years running. 29. That's still pretty young when you think about it. We could be talking another contract of this value, and if at that point, it'll probably be a lot higher if he stays the player that he's been. Absolutely. Thought. But with that being said, Joey, I'm going to go ahead and let you jump into our Colts conversation. So what do you have for us on well, where do you want to go first? you want to go Rodgers first or the wide receivers right yeah, first? Let's jump into the Isaiah Rodgers news. So this will be our final installment about the whole Isaiah Rodgers drama because it all came to a head this past week when the NFL finally issued its punishment. And initially, Adam, I'm sure you saw this too, Adam Schefter reported it as a one-year suspension, which I was kind of shocked about. And then he later revised that and said that at least one year, but it is an indefinite or suspension, and he has an opportunity to try to get reinstated after one year. But kind of surprising, kind of not. I don't know if you even knew who this was. Also, Colts defensive lineman Rashad Berry 
was also suspended indefinitely by the league for the same reason. So in a corresponding move, the Colts actually released Isaiah Rogers and Rashad Berry, and Chris Ballard released the following statement on their release. The statement reads, We made the roster moves as a consequence of the determination that these players violated league's gambling policy. The integrity of the game is of the utmost importance. As in an organization, we will continue to educate our players, coaches, and staff on the policies in place and the significant consequences that may occur with violations. So, Adam, just keeping this short, sweet, and simple, two questions. Do you agree with the suspension, or do, and do you agree with the Colts' moves to release both players? Well, I wrote an article about this earlier in the week, and when I kind of thought about the tweet that or not the tweet, but the message that Chris Ballard was sending out. I think it was very clear that the league is going to start taking a stance against this. And if the Colts didn't make the decision for themselves, the league might've made it themselves. Now, all of that being said, I'm going to say something that's going to kind of surprise everybody. And it's that I think that this was a great decision by the team, not because you're losing a good player, but the implications of what it could open up for the team. As many fans are aware of, hopefully, and if you're not, this will be some new news, because they violated an NFL policy and part of their contract, the Pacers or the Colts were able to cut them without any salary cap implications. So Rodgers was going to get paid $2.7 million. Barry was going to make $800,000 this year. That means the Colts just got a huge gift of $3.5 million in cap space. That yep. is a huge godsend. And I wrote about this in my article, but if the Colts are unsure about their receiver's room, you have DeAndre Hopkins still sitting out there available. If you're not sure about Taylor coming back, because we've talked about his contract extensions and some concerns, you have players like Dalvin Cook available. You have Leonard Fournette available. You have Ezekiel Elliott still available. Again, there are good options in free agencies. And then, of course, there's the question that I want to ask because now that we know the consequence, and this will, as Joey mentioned, hopefully and probably be the last conversation. Do you think the Colts have to get a new cornerback at this point knowing that Rodgers is not coming back? Yeah, I, I think that they at least have to look into it. We had this discussion a couple of weeks ago when the whole Isaiah Rogers news first broke, but I definitely think that the Colts need some type of veteran to come in. And even if he doesn't get all of the playing time, we need somebody to come in and mentor these young guys who we're going to have lined up outside. Well, and, and that's something that I'm going to actually disagree with. And the, the reason it comes down to, which I also wrote about in my article, is the rookies. Now, contrary to what people are thinking, they're going to be like, oh, we need to get all these veterans in here. You have Kenny Moore for that. Even if it's just for one year, these guys are going to be veterans a year from now. They're going to know the ropes of the game. Kenny Moore is going to be a given starter. And then you have three rookies vying for that role. You have Dallas Flowers. You have cornerback Daryl Baker, who we got from Arizona. Again, this roster has like seven or eight corners right now that are vying for roles. I don't think that adding Marcus Peters or Casey Hayward or brought or Brylan Jones, Brian Jones are going to add anything. Those are great players, 
but I don't think it's absolutely necessary that you go out and get them. Again, if you're looking at it because you, you want a veteran, that's one reason. If you're looking at it for leadership, I don't think that's a good enough reason. And again, none of those guys at this point in the offseason are going to cost the team that much. Chris Ballard always seems to have this habit of finding the bargain bin deals and getting good contracts. And if one of those players wants to sign, maybe even two of them, you might be able to get them both, as scary as this sounds, for that $3.5 million in cap space. And that's why I said this Rodgers decision is a blessing in disguise. Yeah, I I can't really disagree with you there. I do think I have a little bit more of a need for the Colts as far as going and get it, getting a veteran. But one last thing I do want to mention on the Isaiah Rodgers thing is they, there was more breaking news this past week that there was indeed a bet placed on the Colts. And it was, I think, a prop bet for a Colts running back under total yards or something like that. But Over or under 100 yards. Yeah, so when you look at that, and you take into consideration the fact that he did, in fact, have an outgoing bet on his own team, I do believe this indefinite suspension could turn into something that's far longer than a single season. And at that, I can I can let my Isaiah Rodgers talk go to rest. Well, I've got one more, to, one more thing to say because I'm glad you brought that up. And it was one of the final layers to my article is I want you to remember back when – and you put it on Facebook – and we had a whole podcast where we talked about or where I particularly talked about that there were legitimate questions if some of the games were shaved or we were giving up points for parts of bets. I'd like to bring back that conversation very briefly and point out that I was I'm going to say probably right. Rogers may have even placed bets on himself in his own performance. So when Schefter looks and says something like it is an indefinite suspension, there is no way that the NFL is going to look at this as a player that ever gets a chance to come back. Calvin Ridley and Jamison Williams are players that place low bets on players that weren't on their teams. But you look at Isaiah Rogers betting on his own team. Who's to say he didn't bet on his own performance. And for me, I'd like to point out that I was probably right. Because I, I, I called this right after it happened when they announced 100 bets. It's like there's no way that he didn't bet on the team's performance and that the team's performance wasn't affected. But what I also said to remember is there were other players that knew about it. And sure enough, Rashad Berry and Demetrius Taylor, who's a free agent now. So you had three Colts players that were in on these bets. It means that I was right about the concept of Placing bets on the team's performance. Now, did Taylor and Barry play? No. But the idea of it, you know, the integrity of the game was ruined. And I'd like to think that the Colts might have won another game or two. But I'm also not going to complain much because I said this brief or previously that if we would have won another game, and you mentioned it too, we wouldn't have been picking it fourth. We would have been picking at seventh. And at that point, Anthony Richardson would likely have not been an option because it was said that Seattle would have taken him at five if he was available. So not going to complain too much, but just want the world to know that I was right. I guess that's one of those things we may never know. We'll just have to speculate on. But, Adam, if it's okay with you, I think I'm going to put the wide receiver conversation on the shelf for next week. 
and uh, we can jump into verse of the week. That way we can get this episode out and everyone can get on with their 4th of July plans. Sound like a plan to you? That is all right with me. And, you know, we'll we'll bring a little bit more next week. We kind of knew that this week was going to be condensed because, you know, everybody's celebrating the holiday. But all that being said, let's jump into verse of the week, which actually relates to the 4th of July in a weird way. But I decided this week to choose 2 Corinthians 3.17. And what it says simply is, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So I think what it brings up to me is this interesting concept of, you know, a lot of people believe that the U.S. was founded on the principles of God and religion and that people that are here live under God's country. But I didn't really ever think about that until I started looking at this verse, and it's like, God protects the people who seek him. And so I know that that's contrary to a lot of what happens in the Bible where people question God and he punishes them and then God puts people through hardships. But I'd like to think that the U.S. has now been a country since 1776. So if I do my math right, that's about 255, 56 years, give or take, or 57 years. So when you start thinking about that, 257 years, we've been a country. 247. It's one of those two. But when you've been a country that long, there's there's a sense of protection. And there's so much in the world where people in maybe the, and I'm going to pick on the Middle East for just a second. There's been so many hardships there that people deal with constant war, constant violence, ideologies where people don't have freedoms, women are persecuted. And at the end of the day, people that trust in God are protected. And I think that's a large reason why a lot of the U S has been protected this long. But I also think we're heading in scary times too, where maybe people are starting to to switch from that role and maybe not seeking that. And so I think that's just my message plain and simple this week is we will be protected if we continue to seek God. Yeah. And just to take this a little bit in a different direction, One word I would almost put as synonymous with freedom is peace. So let's replace Mm -hmm. freedom with peace in this verse. And it would say, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is peace. And there is no question, Adam, that here in the great country of the United States of America, yes, there is freedom. We can all agree that in today's time, there isn't as much peace. You know, there's a lot of animosity between this side or that side or this race and that race so while there is freedom there isn't a whole lot of peace and one place that you can and will always find peace is in the lord and i don't know a better kind of peace or freedom than knowing that no matter what happens out in the world he loves you and he cares for you and that's kind of where i'll leave it for myself i like that perspective i think that's a good way to think about it you know If you think about 257 years, the last time that a hit was taken on U.S. soil was was in Hawaii in 1944. So we've gone nearly 80 years where there has been no attacks on U.S. soil. And, you know, you think about what happened in World War II and the aftermath of that. There is a lot of, you know, people that took a religious turn. And, you know, something in thinking about World War II that I 
can connect to is I saw a movie called Unbroken this week on Netflix. And, you know, the guy's name was Louis Zamperini. He was an Olympic athlete, was a runner, and then was captured by Japan. And, you know, in the midst of everything, he didn't trust in God. But when he got saved by the U.S. after the war, he kept he had a promise that he kept of, I will, I will seek the Lord, you know. And not only did he do that, he made peace with his captors by going back to Japan and having conversations with them and saying, I forgive you for everything that happened. And, you know, that's where there's this idea of he trusted in that process of what was going to happen. He trusted the peace and, you know, he just died a couple years ago. But again, I like that interpretation of peace and, you know, it connected to that movie that I saw as well. Yeah, I definitely have to check that out. But Adam, we got anything else for us this week? Nope, I'm okay to go ahead and sign off for this week. All right. I would like to thank everybody for listening to the Hoosier State Sports Show. Don't forget, you can come back tomorrow for a new episode of the Hoosier State Highlights. I know Adam's got some pretty interesting stories lined up for that show over there. And like normal, you can find us at any social media site, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, you name it, we're probably on there. So with that, Adam, I think we're going to sign off this week. So everybody come back tomorrow. Check out Hoosier State Highlights. We'll be back next Tuesday with another episode of the Hoosier State Sports Show. But until then, God bless. And have a good week.